I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie, I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. I'm here with Kyle Nathan. Uh, we're going to break down and answer your questions in another mailbag pod. Kyle, welcome on. Thanks. Yeah, ready to go. Do some podcasting. Yeah. What's new? Not too much. Watched some USAM golf last weekend. It was exciting. You got the playoffs underway. Pretty good time for golf here. Yeah. That's, uh, it's, it's okay. Right. I just can't seem to get excited about the FedEx Cup playoffs for some reason. I'm with you. I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of watch. I'll watch this weekend, and then once football starts, I kind of really lose interest rapidly. Yeah, I guess that's why they're changing the schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just dive into the questions here. We got a lot of them, so thank you to everybody who asked them. Um, if you. If you're not on Twitter, just email us questions, and uh, we'll put them in here. So, uh, Tucker Blankenship is uh, asking about Fred Ridley, the new man at at the Masters in Augusta. So, three things you'd like to see Fred Ridley change about Masters, Augusta National, within the first few years as chairman. Kyle, why, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about Fred Ridley? I know you you did some research. Who is Fred Ridley? I was interested to know because obviously that's such a prominent position in the golf world. Um, and I was shocked. He's he's played in five majors, uh, three of which were the Masters. He's a two-time Walker Cup captain and uh, ex-president of the USGA, uh, I think in 2004 to 2006. He, uh, he started out as an agent at IMG. Uh, he managed Hal Sutton, and he was handpicked by Billy Payne um, in 2011 to follow him up. And he's only been a member since 2000, so obviously with this guy's pedigree, they hold him in extremely high regard. Because um, you think Augusta is such an old school club where you know the guy that would be in charge as you know his great grandfather was a member and so the fact that they're they're going to a guy that's only been a member 17 years to me says just how valuable they see him and how great they think he'll be in this role yeah that's that's kind of crazy i actually really like that he has played in a bunch of majors i think they'll probably help the tournament it might be just like a lot of little things but that he does but he he knows what it's like to actually play, which I think is always important with with tournaments. Yeah, for sure, it's it's huge. I mean, there's no substitute really. Mm-hmm. That's why they always say the USGA events are are kind of can be bad because there are a bunch of amateurs running around running a tournament. <laughs> we do have a lot of USGA questions to get to, but first, what's what, what about the rest of this? Uh, the three things you'd like to see Fred change? Oh, well. I mean, I think it 
there's a big trend in the world of golf and golf courses of wiping away changes that any member of the Jones family has done to a golf course. Um, and I think that's the first one, getting Augusta back to what it, it used to be. Even Tiger Woods was talking about it in his most recent book about how much it's changed over the years and how there's, you know, the inception of long grass. Like, you know, the idea of, like, if you hit a bad drive in the old days, it, it just would run, because it was all fairway, it would just run into the pine straw, into the trees. Now the rough stops it. Um, right. So that would be number one on my list. Number two, I think it'd be pretty cool if they did a, a tournament ball there so they stopped just adding length and buying land and just said, hey, you got to use this ball this week. Nobody's turning down an invite to the Masters. Um, and third, I think it'd have to be the uh, telecast, like uh, getting us Masters all day, right? Yeah, that's I th- that's by far my least favorite part of the Masters is you get very limited coverage. And it's part, you know, I think they see it as a prestige thing, you know, supply and demand. Um, and I just, I don't think in this day and age with so many different ways to watch golf, um, and the different ways it's being presented. I mean, you could watch it on Twitter earlier this year. Um, I just, I don't think that's a great strategy. People are going to watch no matter what, you know, the masters, I have plenty of friends that only watch the masters and, you know, they'll watch the extra four or five hours a day if you put it on there. Yeah. I mean, I remember, like, co-workers, like, in, in an office setting, like, even casual, the most casual golf fans would have it on, like, on their computer and be excited about the Masters. So I, I feel like wall-to-wall coverage would be uh, would be very cool and uh, a good, it would probably be the, the best first and easiest step of uh, his chairmanship. Hey, do you do you know what happened to golf on Twitter? The live golf did it work? Like, I, mean, I saw an article. I mean, this was months ago, so I I don't know how accurately I'm remembering it, but I I remember seeing an article that it wasn't going well, and I mean, barely anybody was watching. So I'm gonna guess that they, you know, kind of axed that out. It's kind but, of like a tough thing to watch. Uh, Because they were putting it, like, the first hour of coverage on Twitter during the week, which is, like, when people are on commutes to work. So I'm not surprised that it didn't go well. Like, why not put it on Twitter on the weekend or something? Yeah, like, simulcast it like they did with the Thursday night football in the NFL. Yeah. Something like that. Just doesn't seem like it was uh, a well-thought-out plan there. I want to see, uh, well, before we go on, I want to see beer on the par three course. I know that um, it's a rule there where they don't serve beer or alcohol on the par three course during the tournament on Wednesday, and I'd like to see them do it, uh, simply because I think you'll have more guys out there. Um, And it's not like your crowd at Augusta's, your riffraff, you know, crazy Baba Boo yelling crowd, so I I don't think there's any, any danger in and letting them drink beer. Yeah, I've never been to Augusta, but I've heard the security is very overzealous. So I imagine that if you 
just serve beer during the par three. It would let those security guards get get a through a few more people thrown out, which probably would make them happy. Yeah, they'll execute you if they catch you with a phone. It's a weird loophole in Georgia law. <laughs> um, you know, speaking of Augusta, Pedro asks. He saw that there there's a picture of Steve Spurrier peeing at Augusta National um, that Deadspin posted, and he wants to know: Is this accept- acceptable to do at like a high profile club such as Augusta? or, you know, any other high-profile club, for that matter. I will tell you a story. Um, we were I was playing a college tournament at uh, Big Canyon out in California. I think it was UC Irvine's tournament. Um, and during the practice round, I guess this kid went on this, I think the par three, if it's eight or 17, I can't remember, 16, something like that, um, went towards the houses and peed. Uh, and then that night at the welcome to the tournament dinner, they made a stern announcement that, you know, a lady was out, you know, in her, in her kitchen having breakfast and she turned around and saw this guy's penis. Uh, <laughs> and it was a major issue. Do not piss on the course in any circumstances. And literally got, I got to the hole the next day in the first round of the tournament and there was two like bodyguards guarding that lady's front lawn. I'm like, oh my God, I've never seen anything like this. So you, you think the answer is, no, it's not acceptable. But as I've gotten to play with older guys at you know my club back home and and all that, I mean they'll just whip it out and pee anywhere mid conversation. I think they the old timers think it's not a big deal. You know they're like, oh, what'd you hit there, eight iron? And you look over and they're just pissing right next to the fairway. You're like, oh, okay. Um, so I think that you know it's a generational thing. I think now now it's probably viewed as unacceptable. But someone of Spurrier's generation, I think, sees no problem with it. Yeah, I think. I think uh, my big thing is I always look around, make sure there's no women, no children around before I uh, before I pee. I mean, you gotta go, you gotta go, right? I agree. There's nothing worse than playing a tournament and you know the guy you're playing with has like his three sisters and mom and girlfriend watching, and you're like, oh my god, where am I gonna go piss? Yeah, you know, one one year when I was playing uh, junior golf, I played with this kid and uh, he had irritable bowel syndrome. And uh, we were playing this tournament, and he uh, turns out he he had this problem regularly. He carried around toilet paper in his golf bag, and it was a course that was like a residential development. And next thing I know, he's like, "Oh, I gotta go to the bathroom," and he went and knocked on a couple people's doors and asked them to use their bathroom while that's aggressive carrying in his own toilet paper. So that that's a bigger problem, I think. Yeah, that would that would be a severe issue. Um, so uh, getting into the USGA, we got just tons of questions here about the Walker Cup and the USAM. And it seems like it was a big hot topic over the weekend. Uh, People were getting fired up. Yeah, I, let's see which one's the best one to start with here. Worst move um, walk from the USGA. Walker Cup private. Walker Cup private selection process. Uh, ending pub links or dropping state team. For me, that's an easy answer. Um, dropping the state team. I I it was my I played in the last two luckily and 
I had so much fun. You know, it's obviously a big tournament. They got the USGA red flag. So you feel like you're, you know, it's a huge thing. It's always at nice clubs in great shape. And you get to do it with, you know, your friends or teammates. Um, and obviously the fields are incredible. Um, so I, I'm a huge fan of the state team. It was definitely my favorite tournament. Um, the pub links, I still don't really understand to this day what the rules were for playing in it. And I think that's where the big issue came because you had guys whose parents were members of clubs but didn't use the club so they could play. And then, you know, I had a buddy that actually got pulled off the golf course um, at the pub links in Utah because he was a, had a range membership at a club even though he didn't belong at the club. Um, so I, the rules around that were so weird. Plus they replaced it with the four ball, which I think is a major hit. Everyone loves. You got guys who, you know, probably don't sign up for mid-am qualifiers or am qualifiers, but will sign up for the public, or excuse me, the four ball. So I think that's a great move. And the Walker Cup, um, you know, as far as the private selection process, that happens a lot. I, I just, I don't really have a huge problem with it. Obviously, we'll talk about some of the snubs, but, you know, it's their event. They want to win it. Um, I guarantee you that the people in charge of that event care if they win it so to they might play a little bit of favorites here and there but I, I i don't have a huge problem with the private selection process i mean that's how a lot of the world does business anyway so yeah that's, that's my thing that's what i was gonna say i feel like this this people like especially media crying for like a walker cup points list just want it so that they can have like easy content to point to and easy storylines and nobody really follows college and amateur golf that closely with the exception of like three people so then when the usam or the walker cup rolls around they're like oh i don't know anything about this guy but if they had this list they could be like oh he's six in the points list you know right Um, yeah um i think i yeah i think the state team i think the biggest problem they've done worst thing they've done is dropping state team because what it does is it it has a trickle-down effect, and it hurts the local state golf associations as well. Because to make the state team, you need to be one of the top three amateurs in the state that you represent. So you would have to play, and it would often be dictated based off of these states' pointless and season-long points list or two-year-long points list. So in order to make the state team, which everybody wants to do because it's a cool event, as you alluded to, you would have to play in all of the state events or the vast majority of them. Now, without state team, there's like literally no reason to play in these mid-am events or the state-am because you could go play in like a nice invitational instead and not lose anything in the state team rankings. Right. And you lose, you lose. I mean, there's so many cool experiences. I, you know, I had the fortune of being in the final group of the final round in the 2014 state team. I mean, in all likelihood, I'll never be in the last group of a final round of a USGA event again, because I mean, it's not really, unless you're playing in the masters, um, you know, in the USAM finals or in the mid-am finals, but, and you, we played with Alaska um, you know, and it was cool playing with them and they were telling me their golf season's like six weeks long and the stint meter green, the green greens are running six on the stint meter. I'm like, that's crazy stuff. And the guy shot like 82 or something. I'm like, wow, that's incredible. The guy plays 12 times a year. Um, so yeah, I think you miss out on a lot. Um, 
lot, a lot of cool experiences. And I think they did it, <clears throat> excuse me, they did it for greed, basically, which is what I have a problem with it. You know, they, they don't make any money off the event. It's, it's a production to put on because you do have uh, 150 players, actually a little more because I think Puerto Rico and, um, and captains and you have, you know, the dinners because it's generally an older crowd, but it's not just mid-ams. I think that's kind of a misnomer. Juniors can play too. And I, you know, I know Sam Horsfield played in the one a few years ago. Um, TK Kelly. TK Kelly played right out of college. Yeah. Friend of the pod. Now Latino American tour winner. Tour star. Yeah. He's a big time star. He just entered the Los Cinco. He's in the top five now. Ooh, that's big. Narcos tour. Huge. I'm playing with him uh, tomorrow, actually. Oh boy, nice. Where are you guys playing? Conway. Sweet. So should be good. Um, let's see. Bigger Walker Cup snub: John Peterson a few years ago, or Sam Burns. Both, um, both happened to attend LSU. Both starred at LSU. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Maybe the selection committee members are uh, Bama fans or something because that seems like a total LSU vendetta. Um, I'm going to say I'm going to say Sam Burns, but I know you. I'll kick it to you because you probably probably have some better color on it. I don't know. It's a it's a tough one. Sam Burns had an unbelievable college year, but Peterson won Jones Cup and. Uh, and the NCAA. So, you know, to a certain extent, like the resume of Braden Thornberry, um, maybe not quite as... I'm not sure if he won anything that summer, but essentially Braden Thornberry, which was like a a, a lock, and uh, Sam Burns had a kind of rough summer outside of his Barbasol win, or his Barbasol T6. Which, pretty huge, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is huge. It, that leads us into the, the next question. Those last two were from Porter Golf. Um, Philip Johnson asks, should Burns have made it over Scheffler? Um, and, you know, so that's like the big debate, you know, Scheffler versus Burns. When, you know, it, so how do you weigh Burns T6 at the Barbasol versus a T27 at the U.S. Open? Which one's more impressive? Um, I, I, I think obviously the T27 probably at the U.S. Open and for sure in the eyes of the USGA, that's more impressive. And that, that's really what it boiled down to is, you know, Scheffler's USGA pedigree versus Burns. I mean, you got a guy that won the junior low am at the open. I mean, he's one of their own. He's, the, he's, yeah. they've all spent tons of time around him and, and, he, and that, that just gives him a clear edge. He was on that world amateur team last year too. That right. They, so, uh, you know, I think, um, I, and it's like the other thing about the U S open T 27th there is like going through, getting through local, getting through sectional qualifying also. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's brutal to make, I, you have to play what seven pretty solid rounds, you know, maybe six, six great rounds, five great rounds and two solid rounds where, you know, not to take anything away from a sixth on tour, but you know, that's four solid rounds, so I, I'd give the edge to the U.S. Open. Yeah, opposite field event, too, so one of the weaker right. fields. Um, and uh, Scheffler, I think Scheffler was the 54-hole leader at um, 
at the NCAAs too. So it's like not like he's like, you know, he he played really well there. So um, these two are kind of related here. Um, is it me or is Walker Cup discussed and critiqued more than ever? Why is that just golf Twitter? That's from John Willis, and then Tad Todd wants to know Sam Bird's robbery. It seems magnified by golf Twitter. So basically, is Twitter blowing this up? Oh yeah, I think all these social networks like prey on outrage. You know, when mm-hmm. when outrage happens, like it, you know, like you could be out there throwing around like the most sensical takes on on golf, and and somebody that just is yelling at the clouds will probably get more attention than you. So right. anything that you can stir up drama with, um, and allow for people to get outraged about, I think is going to be magnified. And uh, one of the things I find interesting about the Walker Cup is, like, you get all of these golf commentators that pay attention to golf, uh, to amateur golf, like, three times a year, like, throwing their two cents in about, you know, things because they they watch, you know, a couple hours of the USAM this this week, you know. You didn't like uh, Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless talking golf leading into the Open? I actually kind of did like that because, like, forever now we have, like, Ricky Fowler isn't tall enough to win. Oh, yeah. I, I was a huge fan of that. Yeah. I think, I mean, maybe now Rosillo, we could get him. Is it too soon? No, I, I think he's, he'd be great. Yeah. It's, uh, um, what do you, I mean, what do you think about that? I think it's blown up. I mean, obviously, I know one of the, um, questions down the line from our buddy the angry golfer in glenview he says walker cup why do they need two ams you're at, or two mid ams i should say and that was one thing that you know being friends with a lot of mid ams following a lot of mid ams on twitter like the outrage was insane and i'm like you know i think i was following the 400 people in the world that actually care that the walker cup is you know only doing one mid am and not two and the reason as i'm a huge fan of mid am tournaments and i i am a mid am but, you know, for the, a mid-am gets to play in the Masters. I mean, I don't know what else uh, these guys want because you should take the 12 best guys. It should be a competitive team and the best team that gives you the chance to win. And, you know, I hope it's eight mid-ams, to be honest. But in reality, it's probably not. I think, you know, Stewart deserves to go this year. He's proven it not just by winning the mid-am, but, he, you know, in the Masters he proved it. Um, he made the U.S. Open. I mean, he's got he's he's definitely proved it. Um, but th- that's enough for me. I think that um, there's no reason to force an honor. You know, this whole, the, everyone's so against the participation medals, and then all of a sudden you take away one of the mid-am spots, and these same people are like, "Oh my God, you know that's ridiculous." The USGA has a vendetta against mid-ams. I, I don't think that's the case. I just think they want to put the best team on the golf course, and I, I'm totally fine with that. Yeah, I uh, I agree. I think it's one spot's enough. I think it's uh, it's pretty fair for one. And I I don't know how many like Hagestad's a example of a guy that like went above and beyond to get like if if there were no spots he probably still would have gotten a spot. Um, right. So I think like he's a, a a rare case where it's like extremely like. You, this team especially, like, I think some of the outrage came, but, like, the reality is is this was probably one of the more competitive 
um, and closely, um, you know, contested Walker Cup. Like there were, you could you could have picked twenty players for the last two spots on that team, and and nobody, it it wouldn't have been like we could have made the same case for them over over Burns or whoever you might be. It could have been, you know, John Oda was a guy that had like an incredible uh, last year of golf, but you know, nobody brought him up, but he, he like, he Mondayed into a PGA tour event, you know, he made it to the final 16 of the USAM. He was a first team all American. Like, I mean, that guy had a great year too. He, he qualified for the U S open. So it's like, you know, there's, there's 20 guys that could have gotten that last spot. And, um, I think when you, when you look at, when you compare the next best mid-am to that, to those guys, it, it doesn't really compare. Oh, I 100% agree. I mean, I know the guy we're talking about in particular, Scott Harvey, he's had a great, you know, great year. He took to Twitter to vent out some of his frustrations, which I thought was um, questionable. But, you know, you look at like a guy, a guy like Nick Hardy or somebody, you know, they, they you know, they deserve, they deserve it over Scott. So I, I don't, I don't know what the, uh, what the big hubbub is about that. Yeah. It's like Nick, Nick Hardy's another great example, like until the uh, USAM. He hadn't finished outside of the top ten in uh, in an AM event for like the entire summer. It's like it's an it's a whole other question. Like it is like how do you value consistency in golf? So like a guy that is a top ten machine, I feel like Kucher gets maligned for it being a top ten right. machine versus a guy that wins once or twice a year. Which which would you rather be? Oh God. Winning is really fun, um, but also playing bad is so frustrating. I think you're you would have you'd be happier and live longer if you were the coocher of the world, getting you know t nines all day. Um, but you probably have more fun uh, winning more. I, I I don't know. That's such a. I'd say I I personally I probably would rather win and do the old Calcavecchia where you play well four times a year and you know you're thrilled with that. But, uh, but in reality, I think I, I value the consistency guy more because you can, you can find yourself in the winner circle on accident if you're that consistent. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think, I, I feel like, I think Tiger once said it, it is like in golf, everybody's just trying to get more consistent. Right. So I think that's like the, the, the thing that we all chase, like, you know, that's our crack is consistency is like, well, if I could just play like that all the time, is like what everybody says after they play the best round of their lives. Right, it's funny. So it, it, consistency, I think it just it it's just doesn't get enough love, you know, in golf. Um, Here's how, a mid-am question. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, how would you, um, if if you needed a better selection process, how would you do it? I mean, I you could do. I, I think the obvious answer is to do something similar to, you know, the Ryder Cup, where you had a points list, and it's it's tough though because then you really cut out the mid ams because all the event. It's the same thing as kind of the world rankings. Why it's so hard for mid am to gain any traction there is because you're not playing in the college events, and the college events have to be weighted um, for the Walker Cup because that's primarily your team. So. That that's tricky to me. 
I don't know that there's a great way to do it. Um, you know, a lot of these guys are 18, 19 years old. So, you know, having a player's vote doesn't really make sense. I, I'm fine with having the committee. I'm not, I, I don't really support any alternatives. I think that the, the captain, I, I, I didn't even know this until last week that the captain doesn't actually have any say on the team. And he's the guy like trucking around all spring and all year round, like traveling to these events and he doesn't even get a vote. I mean, that's, that's kind of crazy to me. I didn't know that either. Yeah. That's not even a vote. I guess. Yeah. That's what, that's what I was informed last week. I was like, Whoa, that's kind of crazy. I think, uh, one solution might be like, Hey, like, you know how the, the Ryder cup, like you get, you got the top, you know, say six guys, you just put them on the team, you know? before like the last two months of the season and like hey these are our six guys we're rolling with no matter what you know and then uh and then do the last four at after the usam that could be a a solution yeah i mean i think that's fine but the argument against that obviously is your the your your one through six in this case in this walker cup i mean tell me if i'm wrong but those guys are on the team anyway right I don't know. I think like Dylan Meyer would have been on the team and probably Burns if you did it. Wow. I don't know. Well, yeah, two months ago. That's true. It's a, it's a, it's not a good. It's a, I think it's just fine. Just nobody. We don't need transparency into this. We don't need to know how all these decisions are being made. Yep, I agree. Totally fine. Leave it alone. Yeah. Um, let's see. Here, this was a thoughtful question from. Stephen Carroll, an Aussie, um, and it's, it's staying on this mid-am uh, golf thing. Sorry for anybody not interested in this, but when did they lower the American mid-am age to 25, and how has it affected the true middle-aged golfers like me in the 35 to 50 bracket? Is there any talk about reducing the age of seniors likewise to 40 or 45 um, like the mid-am is so in Australia, the mid-am age is 30 to 50, not 25 to 50 like it is here. You know, I, I think – I'm actually not sure when they lowered the mid-am age to 25. Um, do you know, Andy? I, I'm not sure either. It, it probably was like 20 years ago, I want to say, maybe less. And I think it's a fine idea, 35 to 50 um, or even 30 to 50. In reality – you know, when you play in a lot of these tournaments, for the most part, you don't see many guys under 30. Um, obviously, there's exceptions, like we just talked about, Stuart. You know, he won the tournament last year. He's a young kid, barely 25. But um, for the most part, there aren't many. I, I think that the more angst from mid-ams comes from, you know, guys with a million dollars in PGA Tour earnings playing in an event at 42 rather than, you know, a 25 year old playing, playing an event. I think, I think that's where the, the frustration comes from, from some of my friends versus age. I, I, I'm not sure age is a big deal. Um, I think reducing the senior age would be a neat idea though. I think you'd get a lot more competitiveness. Um, it might not be fair to the guys that are pushing 60, but some of them are, I mean, unbelievable. There's some 58, 69, 60, 65-year-olds that can still shoot 69, 70 anywhere. So um, 
I think that's a good question. I, I think that mid-amp bracket is fine. Lowering the senior could be cool, though. Yeah, I think um, one of the things with mid-amps is it's tough uh, for most mid-amps to play tournament golf um, from ages like 23 to 30 because you're starting your career. You know, and it's like you're you're probably working a, a low-tier job with limited vacation and limited, you know, your weekend priorities are a lot different at 24, 25, 26 than they are at 35. So Oh yeah, 100%. So I think being a really good mid-am at, at age 25 is, is rare because of like just life. Um, you have to have like the right kind of setup and situation to be, you know, a really great mid-am. And, and a lot of them, a lot of the really great players at that age are playing, trying to play professional golf at 25. So, um, I think, uh, that age is fine. Um, and I agree it's, it's the, uh, it's the former PGA tour players that are mid ams is the bigger problem. Um, as far as lowering the senior age, like, I think you'd have to lower the senior tour age, but that's not that bad of an idea given where the tour is going. I mean, I think it's only getting younger and you're going to see a lot of guys at age 38, who have been off the tour, who had good careers for three or four years um, without anything to do until 50. So that that's a problem that's going to happen, I think. That's also going to, I mean, they're going to get, if you take off, if you're not playing competitive golf from 38 to 50, I mean, you're going to probably lose the drive to play a little bit and your game is going to be nowhere near, you know, in, in good enough shape, I think, to compete at 50. So that, that is an interesting point. Yeah, like, I think they definitely need to do something. I mean, 45? Do you see, like, a 38-year-old tour pro in 10 years, like, going and playing on the Dakotas tour because he's got nowhere to play because of how many young kids are in the game? I don't. No. I think that, yeah, that would be that would be a stretch. I could just see him hanging out in a casino. That's probably Chad it. Campbell? Yeah. Playing the uh, e-golf tour this week? <laughs> I, you know, Zach Blair's playing the Utah State Open. This I week. did see that. That's funny. It's kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, we're going to have a new segment this week to the pod uh, where we have to pick sides. I feel like we're very agreeable. So, so we're going to we're going to run down three topics and we're going to each pick a side and argue for the side. Um, we're going to start with uh, Kyle. Uh, should Rory be playing or resting this week? Or the whole playoffs, really, the rest of the year? For me, that is an easy one. I think he should be playing. Um, as we mentioned earlier, um, you know, you're playing for a significant amount of money, $10 million. Um, so you should, you should give it your all. You know, they always say, you know, this guy plays hurt. In golf, I agree, it's not the greatest thing, but he seems healthy. I don't think if he was hurt, he would have been playing. Um, he wouldn't have played in the PGA. You know, he's probably very rusty. I, I think that injured and you know getting back in the swing of things sometimes are are overlapped. I think he's healthy. He's not. He's not sharp because of his injury, but it, he's not hurt. So I'm going to say you only live once. You're playing for ten million bucks. You're you know you're trying to become one of the big legends of the game. I think you play. All right, well, I'm going to take the other side. Um, he's had a rough year. Sometimes you just need to 
just need to close the book and start fresh. He said, uh, you know, new caddy. Um, I guess, you know, he's trying out new caddies. He's got some deep selection process. He's got new equipment in the bag. Um, but the biggest problem is, like, I heard that his, like, left arm goes numb sometimes from this rib injury. So, like, get healthy, you know? Start fresh in, 20, in 2018 or whenever you want to start your season. Enjoy life as a married man. You know, just just take a chill pill because he's got plenty of money in the bank. He probably hasn't even touched the $10 million he won last year. And uh, come back in 2018 refreshed um, and uh, go win the career Grand Slam at the Masters. You know, maybe you should just move to Augusta and just hang out down there all winter. Be a nice little life. Okay, next one. Should Maverick McNeely turn pro? I'm going to go with no. Because if he had... He's he's announced this week he's turning pro, but if he hadn't, he could have become the greatest amateur to play the game since Bobby Jones. Like his dad's worth a billion dollars, you know. He doesn't need money, and frankly, I think if anything, you know, like he could find professional golf to be very difficult and hard, and and he might have instant success, but I don't think he's going to have instant success. And he's going to be strong. I mean, he'll obviously get a lot of sponsors exemptions, but I think in three to five years, he'll get tired of it and go back to regular life. But, and that'll just tarnish his opportunity to be this generation's Bobby Jones. I'm going to say he should turn pro. Um, Like I mentioned with Rory, you have a chance to be, you know, I, I know his, his dad and, He's got more money than he could ever spend and, um, you know, that whole argument. But it's not all about the money sometimes. It's about, you know, creating a legendary spot for yourself. And he clearly has a ton of talent. Um, you know, we've been hearing his name for so long. And I just think out of a, out of an interest standpoint, I want to see how he stacks up against the pros. You know, is he, is he going to be that good? You know, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But um, I'd like to see how he stacks up. And I know, you know, Ten years down the road, he's going to wish he knew how he stacked up. And lastly, when he's 25 years old in a few years, I do not want to see him at the mid-am. So I'm going to say he should absolutely turn pro. But but here's the thing. Couldn't he be more legendary if he was actually different? Like, you know, let's just say Maverick McNeely turns out to be great, like really great and wins a major. What if he did that as an amateur? So I would say... In our world of, um, you know, avid golf fans, yes, he would be more legendary. But I think in the broader broader world, he would not. Because I think that, you know, I, I just, you know, pop culture legend status, you know, he could win seven majors as a pro. You know, and I think eventually people are going to be like, look, turn pro, turn pro, turn pro. And I, I just think... As an as a as a professional, he he can accomplish more towards being a legend. Yeah, he wouldn't be able to play in like the uh, Ryder in the, Cup in the PGA. He, he, I bet he could play in the Ryder Cup. Could you? That I'm interested to know that actually. He wouldn't be able to play in the Presidents Cup. That's for sure. So Ryder Cup is open to anyone, huh? 
I don't think so, actually. I think it, it's it's only open to pros now that I think because it's run by the PGA of America. So if you can't play in the PGA, you probably can't play in the Ryder Cup. So that's you're missing one of the you know the casual golf fan or the non-golf fan. You know that's one of the events they watch. Yeah, but think about winning the the U.S. Open or the Masters as an amateur. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think you're you're you're. It's a little bit, you know, you you picture an amateur winning a major, and you immediately picture a kid, and so you're like, oh my god, this kid won the won a U.S. Open or this kid, you know, finished second in in a tour event, blah blah blah. But I mean, if you're saying that when he's, yeah. you know. This, you know, older than the guys he's playing with, it's like, okay, why is this guy not, you know, what's going on here? Yeah, I don't know. You could do a lot of cool stuff with all that money. I feel like golf, being a professional golfer would be a waste of, of, of a life, but that's just me. I'd, I'd, have, I'd have more fun doing other stuff, you know, starting stuff and listening to cool ideas. Um, all right, do, do blimps deserve a place in the game of golf um since you are now twitter's blimp expert i'm gonna give you this question to answer first i'll let you pick your side no and i think i knew. they don't they don't <laughs> at all they just are a nuisance i mean look at what the what the blimps have been doing this year at the players it was flying really low and you know buzzing around and and then, you know, that's where Blimpgate started. You know, it was like... Blimpgate. It, it seemingly was flying lower in the morning on Thursday than it was on, on in the afternoon. It was clearly had a vendetta against one of the early morning players. And uh, then, you know, one crashes at the U.S. Open. And talk about craziness. We're just lucky that nobody got was hurt. And then, uh, and then at the... Uh, at the PGA, people are complaining about it. Like, you know, players are complaining. P- players are stepping off balls. It's casting shadows over the greens. Like, you know, it- it's a nuisance to the game that can easily be solved by, like, modern technology. Like, you could fly a drone up and do the same exact thing as a blimp. So, drones and blimps, obviously, I so that you just stole one of my arguments. I was going to say you got the great views, which I love. Um, I think, you know, that's always a cool sight to see how the golf course kind of fits together and, you know, the routing. And you get that view from a blimp, which I like so much, um, just to kind of get a standpoint of where you are um, and all that. Plus, you get Nance and is, uh, oh, what a fantastic view here in San Antonio. You know, you'll miss out on that. Um and I, I do agree the Renegade pilot was an issue at the U.S. Open. Um, but I'm going to say I, I, I like the blimps. They're the, it's a big staple of, uh, of golf. I remember taking off from O'Hare um, during the last time. What was it? The last time a tour event was in town uh, at Conway. And we saw the blimp from the plane, and I thought it was pretty awesome. And, you know, I waved at the guy. He for sure didn't see me. But, you know, that's what people in the air do. You kind of wave at each other so um yeah i'm all for blimps you know you you missed a big part of that argument for blimps is the the marketing dollars yeah true good year good beer good year my my arch nemesis is the good year blimp <laughs> this guy's had to had to tweet at me on their way out of town last time just 
Speaking very... of vendettas, you have one against blimps. Yeah, blimps. Blimps need to go. All right, let's let's uh, let's move back to the questions. Sounds good. All right, here's a good question. Changing the subject. Chad from Deer Park, back again. What's worse, someone telling you about their fantasy football roster or someone telling you a shot-by-shot detail of their round? Chad from Deer Park. It's funny, I have a friend, Chad, and he always tells me about his fantasy league, and it is super annoying. And so is the shot-by-shot. I think they're both, like, unacceptable. They should You should be arrested if you do either one. Um, what's the, the worst golfer is the one that says, oh, I shot 74, but, you know, I, I should have birdied these six holes where I, I was 20 feet and I just barely missed a 20-footer. So really my 74 should have been 62, you know, just a couple of bad breaks though. Those guys are the worst, but you know, they're both equally bad. I, I, I don't know what do you, I can't pick between which is more annoying. You know, I, I think the shot by shot detail is worse because like legitimately you're the only one that cares about it. And there's like no common bond, no common bond. Like if somebody's telling me about fantasy football, which is equally, it's not, it's, it's egregious. You shouldn't be talking about your fantasy football roster, but you might have the same player and you could say, oh, did this guy score a touchdown? You know, or, or that's great. But like you telling me about how you made a four on the seventh hole and like the details of every shot, like I could care less. Like I almost don't like when people tell me about their hole in ones. Like, <laughs> Like that, uh, that's funny. That might be the only acceptable shot to tell about, talk about. Like I, I don't really care. Yeah, I only, I only like hearing about like consecutive holes you've holed out. Like if you get a nice string of like three hole outs in a row in a three hole span, then you can tell me about it. I'm excited. But fantasy football, that's a good point you made. There's somebody else in the world that feels your pain. You know that Odell just dropped the pass. You know you don't know him probably, but there's a guy in Biloxi who's so upset because he just lost his fantasy game too so at least you got somebody you could throw a dart and maybe get lucky but yeah golf you're right you're on your own nobody nobody gives a shit yeah as jay cutler would say i would say also like the the oh i should have shot 31 or i should have shot 32 like or 71 instead of 75 like that's golf like everybody nobody you never finish a round of golf where you walk off and say oh you know i I didn't leave any shots out there. Have you ever done that? No, zero time. I mean, the only way you do that is if you shot 54, right? Yeah. Only I mean, that, are you, By the way, speaking of 54, you told me Louis Oosthuizen was three under through three. So potentially on the next podcast, we'll be discussing Louis's 54. Uh, he, he bogeyed four. So. Damn it. It's gone. So That's too bad. King Louis. Um, all right. Uh journeyman you'd most like to see win a major uh jerry kelly i think jerry kelly is he plays well at the players these days you know every now and then he probably hasn't been for a few years and i'm probably just um selectively remembering his successes but he seems like a great guy wisconsin guy wisconsin people are such good people um seems like you know he gets angry lets his emotions show he's put in you know, years and years of work on the tour. Um, I would love to see him win a major. You know, would would Monty count? Monty's got three majors. I don't know what you're talking about. 
Yeah, that's true. Um, I'd say, you know, I'd like to see, oh, man. You're not going to go I, with Zach Blair? He's not, I don't think he's a journeyman yet. No, not yet. He's too young. I'm just kidding. He, like, got to the tour right out of college, so that doesn't count. I'm going to go with... No, you got to be over 30. Ken Duke. Oh, yeah. For sure, Ken Duke. <laughs> did, you, did you see that uh, that swamp ass display he, he put out there last week? <laughs> I didn't. I'll have to Google it. Oh, my God. He was Googling with... Ken Duke swamp ass. <laughs> he, he was... Uh, he was wearing like cloth khakis. It was it was it was honestly like he like he like took a, a seat in a pool. That's legendary. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it it only seems fitting that the man that played the greatest round of golf ever wins a major. I agree. I'll I'll, I'll agree with you on Ken Duke, but I'm still Jerry Kelly's slightly more than Ken Duke, but Stricker would be cool too, but I don't know if he's a journeyman. Yeah, I don't consider him a journeyman. If you captain a president's or Ryder Cup team, you can't be considered a journeyman. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go. Um, best way to ensure the top players participate in early events without the tour requiring it, or just best way to improve the playoff? Oh. So, like, I think, like, the early events almost have become too popular, and it and it kind of limits the events that these young guys can play that like they get their card from the web.com tour and it's like oh congratulations you have you have three starts in the fall and if you don't play well you might not play again till pebble beach yeah right here's your card now get on a plane you got a tournament in three days yeah and then and then if they don't play like one of the most important things when you come up from the web.com is is playing well in one of those three starts like if you don't like you're kind of shit out of luck because your next starts coming and like you know when there's a, a low field so like what's happened is those fall events like the veterans have seen oh my god this is a great time to just rack up uh fedex cup points because none of the star players are playing so they all sign up and play and it it limits the amount of starts that the young guys get and it's like hey. especially like the guy that finishes 22nd on the web.com tour money list like He's like at the very bottom of the totem pole, and he just there aren't any starts. Right. I'm gonna rope this into a question that Golf and Whiskey asked us. Um, if I can find it. Uh, oh, here we go. Should the PGA Tour add more Monday qualifying spots? Thoughts on the Tour Championship being match play for ten million dollars? Thirty-two spot bracket, winner take all. So I, I, I mentioned that because I think I kind of like where that's at. We talked about in the last pod we did about the PGA championship possibly being match play. Um, I think it would be really neat if you did uh, a three weekend, three different venue golf course, um, you know, the first and second rounds, third and fourth rounds, and then fifth and sixth rounds. And it was a best, and you played each, each bracket, each match was a best of three. You know, you'd get to see a lot of golf from your, your favorite player, You'd get it would you know playing a best of three instead of best of one. Obviously, you get the better player should rise to the top in that situation. I think you'd generate interest in the playoffs. Um, I I don't know if there's I mean you'd lose an event because you you could do it over. I mean you could maybe do the finals separately. 
if you wanted the fourth weekend, but I, I think it would be really cool, and I would be much more inclined to watch that than I would the current format. Yeah, I, I like the idea of match play a lot also. I, um, I think, it, yeah, it would be cool. Like, you get, you're in the final 30 or 32 guys. Like, you know, you're in the final 30 now. Like, it's kind of boring to watch a stroke play event. It, it, you know, one of my pet peeves is also is, like, when people include, like, oh, he finished T20th at the Tour Championship. It's like, well, there's 30 guys in the field. Right. Like, you can't finish worse than that. Um, Top 30, nailed it. Yeah. So it's like from uh, from a perspective, I, I like the idea of match play um, in some some sort of uh, uh, format. Nine hole matches would be really cool too. That would be crazy. I mean, but you'd risk getting some crazy results, or even doing it. I mean, if you wanted to get real crazy, kind of a six hole thing like the uh, the golf sixes. Yeah, the golf sixes like the Euros are doing. That that'd be cool. I feel like there should be some more. Uh, alternative formats in the fall like talking about like ways to spike like there should be some crazy like the stroke play all year round like stroke play is the best because like it identifies the best players you know like you but i'd like to see some different formats in that fall series and you know get some excitement i mean it's gonna be it's gonna be so dead come uh come 2019 I agree. I think I, I 100% agree. And and think about it. Like you know, I think most people would agree with us. They'd like to see um, different variations of golf. I mean, I don't know. The sixes is kind of crazy, but you know, you get more a little more stable for it, a little more match play. So, and the people we talk to and we are like you know the most avid golf fans. So exactly who is against this? You know, that's what I want to know. Who's against doing these different things? And uh, you know, trying new things. I mean, I, I'm all for it. Let's do it. Yeah, dude. And, and then, like, the other thing is adding more opposite field events for those bottom guys, you know? Like, if you don't qualify for the top 60 event that's some crazy format, like, you know what? Play, uh, you get to play in the the Barbersall Championship somewhere else. It's like the, uh, you know, the the Schick Championship. In, uh, Schick. Somewhere, somewhere. Does that exist still? I don't know. <laughs> I just was pulling another shaving product out of my out of my ass. Um, all right. Does uh, Neil Smith wants to know Henrik Stenson Hall of Fame worthy career? He got a major, a players, a WGC, two playoff wins, nineteen worldwide wins, also a FedEx Cup win. So I put Louis on the fringe last time of a Hall of Fame spot, and I think. Henrik's career is better, so I'm gonna have to say yes, he's a Hall of Famer. I mean, it, you know, a lot, if you count the players as a major, you know, major half a major, whatever, he basically has a major and a half and a WGC and a FedEx Cup. So there's no, I mean, it's almost impossible. Plus, it's he's had really good longevity. I mean, think about he he literally you know, went broke because, you know, he got caught up in that Stanford Ponzi scheme and then rebuilt his entire net net worth through winning golf tournaments again. I mean, that's that's how long his career has spanned. So I 100% Hall of Fame. Yeah, I think uh, he's his career, probably if you match it up to Jim Furyk, looks like really similar. So mm-hmm. you got you got to be he's got to be a Hall of Famer. 
I agree. All right, here's our first uh, Big Cat question. With the hacked pics of Big Cat surfacing online, will 17 at the redesigned Jackson Park Hole be named renamed the Tiger's Tail? I haven't heard much about the uh, the Jackson Park project lately. I think they're they hit a roadblock, but I would uh, I would hope I hope you know I feel like Tiger in his older age has been able to embrace humor and like the humanism of life, um, whether it be like the Mac Daddy Santa, and I think he should he should take this in stride and 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 be proud of. <laughs> be proud what are you trying to say <laughs> and uh you know and and i think you know it, it'll make him more uh more approachable by the common fan if that does. question by the way was from our friend our good friend david horlander which um so this reminds me of a story um i was at the eighth grade dance and i was standing in the corner like most people do at eighth grade dances and i'm talking to my a girl that i was friends with her dad and the movie Boogie Nights had just come out. And we're kind of talking, you know, I don't even know what we were talking about, probably the Bulls or something at the time. And uh, I'm I, like, I just, so I'm trying to act like a grown up. I look at him and I say, hey, have you seen Boogie Nights? He goes, yeah, have you? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've seen Boogie Nights. He goes, what'd you think at the end? I'm like, ah, you know, it was fine. He goes, it's not that big. And I'm like, oh, and he starts laughing and I kind of smile. And it literally took me four hours to get the joke. So I'm gonna go with that with the whole tiger situation. Eh, it's whatever. Yeah, nobody nobody's gonna know what it is. <laughs> right. Um Steve Misner. He he asked a great question about ideal breakfast a couple of weeks ago. Now he wants to know what we're eating during the round. Um I'm gonna go mine's pretty simple. I really eat a lot of like trail mix. I mean, to be honest, I, I, uh, wherever, you know, you go to Walgreens or CVS and pick up one of those big bags and I don't even know why I probably read it in like a 1999 golf digest with Duval on the cover that it said, you know, eat trail mix during your round, but that's what I do. It's pretty much all I eat. I'm a, I'm a big fan of cliff bars, but then, you know, I, I realized later this year that a cliff bar isn't healthy. It's like actually like a candy bar. Somebody informed me, and uh, Ooh, that's probably why they're so good. I know, right? It's <laughs> it's just mis mis uh, they're they're misleading customers. I think uh, I don't know. Beef jerky seems like a popular one. One of my buddies who's a complete health nut, and you know, he 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 grills up chicken breasts, and he'll just open his bag up, and he's got chicken breasts in it, which is seems unhealthy. I feel like he, that's gonna catch up to him one time with like. Like E. coli or food board. salmonella. Yeah, salmonella. Like it, it can't be good to have in your golf bag for eight hours at a time. Jesus, I, I if I saw somebody pull out some pre-made chicken breast during the round, I'd probably I, not speak to that in the rest of the round. Funny story is we we played once and he had them, and then uh, we went to Chipotle after, and he ordered a burrito bowl without chicken, and then put. <laughs> Put his extra Jesus. chicken breast in the burrito bowl. Now I know who this is. <laughs> You're welcome for not sharing your name, buddy. <laughs> well, he asked the question, greater than, under an alias. 
I think it was about the, the Walker Cup, though. I, I didn't write it down, actually. It wasn't good enough. By the way, this is another food question. We, we People had a lot of follow-up coffee questions, and now we got ideal round food. We may have to have a guest nutritionist on at yeah. some point. We, we should. I, Answer our hard-hitting questions. I, I think a lot of people actually asked us to do some more coffee um, talk, and unfortunately, we haven't done any research. We'll, we'll maybe get on it for the next edition. Yeah, we need some, you know, is, is three coffees too many? Is 18 Coors Lights too many during a round? We need some really good good answers from a nutritionist. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, let's do... Um, all right, this is a good question. I forgot to write down who asked it. My friend looked up from the range at Liberty National and saw himself alone there with Jordan Spieth. What do you do in a situation like this? <laughs> oh, man. I guess you just walk up and say, hey, you know, nice to... I, I, guess, I assume that it's his home club. So yes. I, would, you know, I would say, you know, hey, you know, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. I hope you like this week and, you know, do all that. I wouldn't ask for an autograph or anything like that. But I would definitely... I think it would be cool to say hi. You know... I- I had this thing, uh, I think the, the cooler thing to do, like when you think about autographs, is like, okay, you get something autographed and then it's there and like it's gone, like, you know, you, you don't really care about it as an adult, really, no, no offense to anybody that does care, but like, I think the cooler thing is just simply knowing, hey, I could have gotten an autograph now, but I didn't want to bother him. I didn't right. want to be that guy. I would just... I wouldn't. I may, might not even say anything, you know. Maybe just a a good like a hey, good luck in a couple weeks here. Hope you enjoy it. But like, I would just act treat him like a normal guy. I think that's what everybody wants, right? Right. Yeah. Hope you like the course. Enjoy yourself, and uh, you know, let me know if you need anything. You can throw one of those in there too. Mm-hmm. Um. Let's see. Oh, that was Scott Dudick. I, I missed like the whole back half of his question. Oh, Derek, oh, oh. Derek from Matt Toon. Another repeat uh, question asker. Should the champion of the mid- Canadian Mid-Am get an exemption into the Masters? He's asking for a friend. Well, Derek, I hope you're playing well at the Canadian Mid-Am this week. And... Um, if you win, I, I would like to change my answer on this to yes, but I'm going to say no because I think that, um, unfortunately, for the Canadian Mid-Am, there are a lot stronger fields um, where guys are probably more deservingly deserving of a master's invitation. I, I don't understand um, how an American can go up there. I think there's only a couple in the field, but, you know... Isn't there a better tournament to play in America? Well, you know, you get the reason. So there's usually a lot more this year. Um, it's literally in the middle of nowhere. I think it's like an hour from Moose Jaw or something. You know, one of those Moose Head, one of those funny sounding Canadian towns. And I think it's like you fly somewhere and then it's like a three hour drive. It's literally hard to get there. So I think a lot less guys than usual went. But I mean, I think normally there are quite a few, you know, Americans and you get the exemption into the Canadian Open, so it's kind of cool. I mean, I I'd like to play it. Ah, 
do, do you have to qualify? Like, how do you get into that? No, I think it's just resume. Resume? Oh. Mm-hmm. Another, another event? That would actually be cool. I may have to look at and see where they're playing. Um, let's see. Uh, Will Knights, this is for you, Kyle. As a, um, a past I-80 champ, I-80 Am champ, it's a local amateur tournament in Chicago. That should get an invite to the Masters. That, that should. What percentage of the time do you go for it on number five at Sanctuary? And is it the most architecturally sound hole in America? Thanks, Will. Um, so I will. So those of you that probably many, most of you don't know the fifth hole. It is literally the worst hole I think I've ever played in my entire life. It's like a 540-yard par five. And just to put it in perspective, I th- I'm almost certain it was like three years ago. Um, there's a skins game, you know, there's obviously the field's pretty good. I mean, it's all the good Illinois amateurs and I won a skin on the hole with a birdie four. That's how bad of a hole it is. Um, there's a, there's a 20 foot, not yard, 20 foot window where you have to lay up to with like a nine iron or you're, you have to hit a rope hooked sand wedge or you punch shot. It's just, I mean, it's not describable how bad the hole is. I actually did try to hit a rope hook three wood once on the green, and I think I made eight because I don't know how to draw the ball, and it was a disaster. So <laughs> I, that was the one time. Yeah, but that uh, I, it actually is a good future post. Maybe I will. Uh, I'll write something about the worst golf holes in America. Yes, I would. I would love to. Love to read that. Yeah, that, that's an early contender for number one worst. Um, Two holes before that is not much better, but yeah, that's that's another story. You want to do uh, overrated, underrated? Sure. Let's get after it. Driving right. irons. Um, driving irons for good ams and average joes. Chris. Um, what do you think? Overrated, underrated? Oh, I'm all in on driving irons. I got uh, I have the Titleist one, that MTMB or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I used to hit a hybrid, and the hybrid would go left. Like it, it, I never liked the way hybrids set up. They always seemed to look close to me. And I'd, when I missed it, I'd hook it. And since I picked up this iron, I don't think I've ever hit it left. And my, my life quest is to never hit the ball left. Um, I'm with you on that. I, I can't stand hybrids. I finally got one that I is decent. Um, but before that I was always using irons. I mean, I'm not a very long player by any means, but I would much rather have a two iron in my bag than, you know, a hybrid that went 240. I just, I have trouble cause they do go left. You know, you can miss them both ways. Whereas, you know, with a long iron, you know your your misses are much more controllable. So, I am all I'm also all in on driving irons. I think for the average Joe, it depends on who you are. Not to get any advice here, but uh, like if you hit the ball like high and far, but just kind of suck at other things, I would say driving irons are for you. But if you have trouble hitting the getting the ball in the air, like and that's an issue, I would use a hybrid because it's easier to hit high. I'm with you. All right, Zoysia Fairways, Porter Golf, overrated, underrated. 
You know, I've played uh, on a, I, I played once on a dormant Zoja, and it was like the best thing ever. It was like the ball was on a tee all the time. So I think I'm going to go with underrated. I'm going to go with overrated only because I, I obviously grew up on bent and I'm more used to that. But honestly, I don't spend too much time worrying about it. I probably should, um, you know, knowing how the ball reacts. But I, I unfortunately, I don't. So I, I, it's not my pref, preferred grass, but it is what it is. All right, this one's for you too. Stream song, overrated, underrated. Um... I think it's uh, it's underrated actually. I think it gets a it gets a it's a little underrated. I think that red course is really really good there. I think the blue course is pretty good, and um, overall, it's it, the other thing is it's like everybody compares it to Bandon, but like Stream Song is at least like somewhat close to reality, you know, and. Um, so that that's got to have something to do with it. I don't like their 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 uh, hotel. It looks like a an office building in Oak Park, Illinois, um, or Oak Brook. Um, so I, I I think it's underrated in general. All right, uh, I haven't played yet, so yeah, we'll, I'll take your word for it. Hey, uh, winning the FedEx Cup, overrated, underrated. This is a tricky one because you get a ton of money, which is awesome. But I would, I guess, excluding the money, I would say overrated because there's no way I could name the last five FedEx Cup winners, and I could probably name the last five major winners in each major. So I would say underrated, or excuse me, overrated. Yeah, I I would say actually I'm gonna go with underrated just because of the money. Okay. And, cool and it's actually kind of cool when you think about it. Like, it, it doesn't have, like, all of the best players because some people don't play in it. But, like, like a major, you're the best of one week. Like, the FedEx Cup, you kind of have to be the best of, like, four weeks plus a year. I feel like I need to pay. I mean, I like I said, I think whether it was it was today or the last one, I, I, I get – so in the football, I forget to follow the last couple tournaments. But, I, I mean, does it really matter those four weeks how you play? I mean, I know you can play, okay, you know, I feel like you can play okay the first couple, pretty good the third, and then you win the Tour Championship, you win the FedEx Cup, right? I think you have to play, like, I think you have to play pretty well. Like, there's, anybody could win, but it requires, like, the guy that's in, like, the first like anybody right, to in the finish first, like seventh or something, yeah, yeah. I think it's if you're in the top five heading into the tour championship, if you win, you win. So, I think, I think it's I actually think it's underrated. I think what the they just I feel like what happens is people get so turned off about the FedEx Cup because they show those damn standings like eighty five fucking times a telecast, at, <laughs> like the second week of the year. It's like, oh, we're at we're in Las Vegas for the Shriners, and uh, here's your FedEx Cup update. It's like I don't. That's the last thing I want to think about in the middle of October. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Um, 
What do you think about fiddling with a putter choice to improve putting as a pro uh, from Justin Anderson? So there's two schools of thought on this. One is that if you're practicing something you're not going to use or don't intend to use, you're just wasting your time. Um, if you know if you're putting with a putter that you don't use, you literally be better off you know going for a bike ride or something. And the other the other the other school of thought is that which I kind of agree with. Um, an old golf teacher told me this that you immediately get 10% better when you get a new club. Um, maybe just for a week or two, but it does improve. And I feel like putting, as long as, you know, you're comfortable with the putter to a certain extent, I'm fine with it. I think that, you know, that's obviously, you know, asked because Rory and his, whatever it was, you know, I forgot what he mentioned, nine putters he's used this year or something, but um, I'm okay with that. You know, he'll find one and he'll get hot with it. And maybe, maybe he'll just play his whole career like that where he, you know, keeps switching. I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, he's not a a candidate for like having a signature putter for sure. Right. I I don't ever switch equipment, and I never try new equipment. So I'm like the worst person when it comes to equipment. Like the driving iron's the most recent change in my bag. Actually, I, I changed putters recently too, but that was after like three years of using the same one. So. Um, All right, Andy's titles for Friday newsletter way underrated. Speeth's third leg was epic. That's from Tom, and I'm also going to say underrated. I'm a huge fan of the headlines. You've had some real creative ones, which um, I'd like to know. What's what's one you didn't use that you wish you did? There's some good ones. Um, uh, I can't remember. One week, I'd have to go back and look through them. Um, one week, there was some, you know, there was... I I was trying to decide between two of them, and I thought both of them were like incredibly good. Um, <laughs> but it, you know, I picked one of them, and everybody loved it. You know, I I think my favorite, you know, the the Spice third leg happened. I I was it was at the end of me watching all of the first two rounds of the uh, the Open Championship. I'd slept like three hours in the last three days. <laughs> And I was sitting at LaGuardia, and my flight was delayed for, like, three hours, and then it ended up getting canceled. But, like, during the delay, I was, like, semi-delirious, having a couple beers, and I just went with that, and I said, you know, anybody that doesn't understand this will just be like, oh, yeah, it's third leg of his major, and anybody that does understand this will be like, will just laugh out loud. So that's how I try and do a lot of them, is if... The people that, you know, one of my other favorites was uh, Hot Charles, you know? Hot Charles. Hot Charles. I don't remember that one. That is a real good one. Yeah, that's always one of my favorites because, you know, everybody's like, oh, he's just a, he's hot, you know? Hot Charles. We're going to need a Sanchez guy to win. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there are any Sanchez's. But, <laughs> but yeah, the, 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 the newsletter headline actually, like, takes me the longest of anything to do that I do. Like, sometimes it will take me four hours to figure out what I'm going to go with. And when you see really bad ones, like, it's just because I couldn't think of one or was really tired. I don't blame you. It's a pretty big part. I feel like that's, like, right when I get my, you know, look at my emails in the morning, I'm like, I wonder what it's going to be. And then I see Hot Charl. Yeah. I liked Red Man's Method the other day. That was pretty good. 
That was a good one. X Gonna Give It To You is probably the best one of all time. I don't know, though. It's, uh... What do you think about vertical scorecards? I'm okay with it. I think it, um... It's a cool little different thing. I, uh... I think it's easier on a horizontal scorecard to keep track of, um, you know, if you're doing a scotch game or points or whatever. I, I find it somewhat easier just because of the way the the eyes work and how we've learned to read. But I'm cool. I, I don't mind it. I, it's different. It's usually, I mean, it's rare to see a vertical scorecard at a at a bad golf course, right? Yeah. So I think I associate it with um, a pretty nice experience. So I'm cool with it. I hate. The big horizontal scorecards, that oh the giant ones, yeah, yeah, that like you you like can't walk with like it it would be impossible to use walking. I think like smaller better to a certain extent, um, you know, because you do need space for bets and stuff. I agree, smaller the better. Yeah, all right. I don't need a pamphlet. Anything else you want to talk about? What do we got? No, I mean, that was, that's pretty good. We got a questions? Yeah, we got a couple that uh, I'm about, I'm about done answering questions. <laughs> You've had enough, huh, Charles? Yeah, I've had enough. All right, I'll talk to you later. All right, we'll do it. We'll see you guys. Peace. Later.